My name is Sean Sterling, and welcome to the Moving Pictures Podcast. It was my week to choose this week, and I chose The Conspirator. I was sort of reluctant to choose it. It was my second choice of two possible options. Directed by Robert Redford, starring James McAvoy and Robin White, about Mary Surratt, a woman allegedly involved in the assassination attempt on Abraham Lincoln in 1865. It is about her trial, her defense, her lawyer, and a whole bunch of other things, all centered around this one woman. And we are gonna talk about this movie and tell you what we think about it. Lincoln's been shot. One bullet may have killed our beloved president, but not one man! You are charged with having received, entertained, harbored, aided, and assisted John Wilkes Booth, John H. Surratt, and their Confederates. How do you plead? I am innocent. Chris Tognati, to my left, why don't you tell me how you felt about this movie? It was not a very good movie. It had at various points painfully awkward and cumbersome acting. The dialogue was very strange in a in a time place sense because I feel like they didn't really go the whole nine yards to make it sound like that era's style of dialogue. It was a, a mess to be sure. Alright, Connor Houghton, how'd you feel about this movie? I didn't think it was good. I liked aspects of it. I sort of liked the look of the movie at points. I liked some of the acting Overall, it was bad acting, or very bad directing, I felt like. I couldn't really decide which. The story was very boring, which is surprising, given what an interesting concept it is. And the script was really terrible, I felt like. Some of the lines were just awful. Alright, Kevin Werkheiser, maybe you like The Conspirator. No! (laughs) I did not like The Conspirator. I found very, very little worth liking. I mean, there was nothing that was just god-awful about it, but there were a lot of things that I didn't like, and very, very little to recommend it. I was very frustrated and really wished for more based on cast and director. All right, well, Brian Houghton, perhaps you enjoyed The Conspirator. No, I did not (laughs) like The Conspirator. In fact, I downright hated it. Over the course of the few days after I watched it, the more I thought about it, the, the more I disliked about it. Though, compiling my thoughts for the podcast made me, made me remember that there were some good things. Robin Wright did a very good job, great performance for her, but yeah, there were just too many flaws in the script. The dialogue was stereotypical, the characters were really just flat and uninteresting, and in the end, I just wanted much more from it. Alright, well, I also disliked this movie. It was not very good. It looked terrible. The acting <laughs> was not good. Despite being set during very interesting events, they seem to singly focus in on probably the least interesting story <laughs> throughout this whole series of events. And I feel like this is a movie that would be very hard to make super interesting and enthralling, and they did a bad job of making it even passable. Let's just start at the opening of the movie. Well, I really wanted to hear the rest of the joke. <laughs> you know, he starts telling a joke to the wounded guy. It's Still, during the Civil War, our main character is shown lying in a ditch, bleeding from his gut, and his friend, the I'm a Mac guy, Justin Long, is lying next to him, and he starts telling him a joke, and we never get to hear the end of it, and that, I feel like, is the movie. (laughs) There (laughs) There was stuff that seemed like it might be interesting, and it was never followed through on. One note I do have about how the opening sort of bridges into the present story is the series of sort of spinning newspaper shots (laughs) showing the headlines of of what's going on in the hunt for the Lincoln conspirators. At various points, I felt like just tons of information were shooting past me in those (laughs) newspaper reveals, and I was really left sort of confused as to what had exactly happened. Because that's when they initially present the Surratt boarding house to you. It's through these headlines, and they say, oh, these people hauled into prison, but 
with that serving as your initial impression of it, it, it didn't really make much sense. Yeah, yeah, it seemed odd to use those shots to illustrate historical events surrounding the assassination, like the fact that Lincoln's body was carried across the country by train and everyone flocked to the train stops. It's like, that's interesting in a historical sense, but it has nothing to do with the movie whatsoever. And it was like, why Why did they spend that time giving us that, that yeah. information? Yeah, every time it focused on any particular thing that was not related to Mary Surratt, I wanted to jump over and follow that thing. Every time it showed me <laughs> Kevin Klein's character or followed the John Wilkes Booth crew and all the people plotting the assassinations and stuff like that, I was always much more interested in everything else that was sort of slightly being scratched at than everything else that was on the screen. What I noticed, and noticed it very, very early on, was... This movie is not interested in what I'm interested in about this story. Whatever the story is, everything I was interested in was was passed over. And I couldn't really tell for a long time what it was trying to get at. Because it didn't jump to Frederick Aiken very quickly, the, the lawyer defending Mary Surratt. It took a long time sort of getting to any kind of a point. And I kept saying, okay, well, it's not interested in this. It doesn't like, it doesn't care about this. It doesn't care about any of the things that I'm seeing that are enjoyable. It just wants... Something, but what is it? What is it? And it left me wondering for about 20 minutes where we were going to end up, you know, what, what was going to be focused on. It really it was very frustrating. Yeah, it had, a, it had a really awkward sort of stutter stepping in the beginning of the movie. It just didn't really know where it was starting, what it was saying. Yeah, let's talk about the acting and the casting. I feel like there are a lot of roles that are horribly cast. Yes. A lot of yes. Alexis Blydell and Justin Long particularly <laughs> jump out to mind as people who are incredibly contemporary, shoved like painfully into these very historical roles. Needlessly, too, because I feel like all the scenes where we're focusing on Frederick Aiken's cast of friends and yeah. close acquaintances really do not serve the movie very well and could just easily be cut out. He could just be a force that comes in and has this personal dilemma with the case and stuff like that. And we can just focus on his character and focus on all the other, like, legitimately interesting historical people. I agree wholeheartedly. Justin Long, I think, is the most egregious example. I do think, however, that of all the acting, the biggest problem with it is James McAvoy himself. Yeah. And his performance struck me as really oddly anachronistic. Like, he really didn't seem like he was from that era to me, especially his intonations and in the courtroom scenes, his sort of exasperated, like, physical gestures and expressions seemed very modern to me. There's no limit to how far the prosecution is willing to go! Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, he's essential, though, to the plot, and those other characters <laughs> are not essential, so I feel sure. like they are exacerbated through that. Yeah, it seemed really strange because I think um, when a movie, when it's trying to capture this sort of pre, like, you know, very hard recorded history where we don't have, we don't have, we have very few images from that time. You can either go the, like, truly gritty, accurate as possible way, like There Will Be Blood would be a perfect example, or you can go that anachronistic way of like let's just do contemporary dialogue in this old setting for um, example a knight's tale yes, <laughs> yes exactly. but this is a mix of both and yeah an, that's an unflattering what, mix at that that too. was what was so odd was that it didn't stick to one or the other it did both i kind of felt like all of the old actors were doing the true to the time dialogue and all the young actors were just contemporary with it like he gave them two separate scripts or something like that or you realize robert redford realized at the beginning of the production that he just didn't want to ask that of the of Alexis Blydell or Justin Long, so he just said, okay, we'll just do it how you do it. Yeah. I don't know, it was very distracting. That's There was a lot of, like, nether space in this movie where it's kind of hard for me to 
pinpoint exactly what's going wrong, but it feels like everything is always going wrong in pretty much all of the scenes in this movie. Definitely what you were saying about his friends, not only are they anachronistic, but also they added zero drama and zero encouragement. They were just absolutely needless scenes in, in the truest sense of the word. They didn't build anything. The best use of them was when Frederick Aiken goes and is telling everybody that he's got the case, and they just say, what? And then they cut to him say, telling somebody else, and they say, what? That's all you need, and that's, that's more than all you need. I mean, those are terrible scenes, but they, they at least had some sort of point. They supplied some life. Yeah, where the others, yeah, were just nothing. Kevin is not exaggerating for anyone who's not seen the movie. Uh, uh, James McAvoy talks to Alexis Bledel's character and says that he has the Mary Seward case. And she says, what? And that's the end of the scene. That's the entire scene for that, <laughs> for that particular thing. I was very surprised and very amused when I saw that. Yeah, one thing I wrote down as I was writing notes for the uh, trivia challenge during the movie was protagonist was too whiny. <laughs> and that, 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 that definitely was part of the aspect of, of him being too modern, was that he was just too whiny. He was complaining the... about everything and like, this this trial's wrong! And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was, did not yeah. feel well, drawn that's, in. You know, that's a problem with the script, because like every conversation boils down to these talking points about like, oh, you can't do that, that's not the ethical thing to do. <laughs> yes. You gotta respect rights of anyone, whoever they are, even if they are you know involved in the Lincoln assassin. Attempt. Have you ever cared for something greater than yourself? Our founding fathers drafted a constitution precisely for times like this. Do not permit this injustice out of revenge. I actually liked uh, James McAvoy's acting in the film, but I really blamed it on the script that it seemed so anachronistic. I thought that he did a good job with probably poor direction and a poor script in all honesty. Yeah, I'd certainly concur to a great extent that the performances themselves from the actors, I couldn't really blame them, but uh, the screenwriting uh, was just really lackluster and flat. Well, I think it's I think everything is wrong here. I think the script <laughs> the script is bad. The director is is not doing a great job most of the time, and I think the acting is bad in most cases too. James McAvoy, I think, does do good in certain scenes, but I noticed a lot of him just making, like, I felt like inappropriate faces at particular times in this movie, and I, I don't remember if I've ever felt that way watching a movie where I feel like he's making weird faces at everybody. I definitely agree that his expressions just drove me nuts. Like, he would be speaking and I would be enjoying what he was saying, and then he would, especially at Mary Surratt, he would make a face like, what? And it really just so took me out of, of any kind of verisimilitude in, in the movie that was just really bizarre. I did think Robin Wright did a good job. Uh, I, I liked her throughout it. But I really think a big problem with it was that they seemed to cast anyone who had been in other stuff, and it just got really distracting for me, the cast. <laughs> like, who would appear next? You'd see Frank Sabatka from The Wire... Then you'd see... Chris Belusky yeah, from The see, Wire. Yeah, you'd see Fresno <laughs> from The Wire. You'd see Miles O'Brien from Star Trek. It just was it's just so weird. It, there was something really off about the casting for me. I think that's true. I didn't notice Frank Sabaka personally, actually, and I think that was something I would just not think about if I was, you know, enjoying it. Yeah, Frank Sabaka's here! Everyone's in on the, everyone's in on the fun. But, um... I mean, I feel like there were good people in the movie, too. But when you have a movie where I feel like most of the acting is bad, having, like, a good person show up is, like, almost even worse, I feel like. <laughs> because it's like, uh, what am I watching? Who would be better in Justin Long's part? Justin Long or the guy who played Ziggy in The Wire? <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Ziggy. 
Welcome to a new reading of Poor Lines, Poorly Delivered. This was said by Justin Long's character as the end of an old war story about James McAvoy's character. And with that, he pulls down his pants and bears his arse! <laughs> Let's talk about the lighting of the movie. Just the look of the film. Uh, there are scenes in the courtroom where James McAvoy was next to the window and like he was so bathed in light it looked like he was an angel he was like basking in like the glory of god and i felt like light was super ever present in this movie almost to a distracting degree and it made everything look dusty to me yeah and it just had this terrible dull digital look to it and i feel like with historical movies especially almost a mediocre middle of the road digital look really kills the atmosphere and the ambiance for me they should also outlaw soft lighting in historical uh, <laughs> historical movies. That's something I'm very I'm very sick of, and it feels very much like a uh, History Channel documentary. It it didn't look exactly just soft to me. It looked like the lens was dirty in every shot. <laughs> they just needed to wipe off the lens. Everything was looking blown out. Every window looked just so unpleasant. It was all really really unpleasant to look at. I agree. I agree. I mean, not as bad as uh, Boy and His Dog. <laughs> I think it was, it was bad very in a different way. The opposite I, way, in fact. Yes. <laughs> I think it was very intentional, this film, which I found very odd and very confusing as to why this scene was suddenly lit up like an angel, like Sean was saying, <laughs> as opposed to another scene that was dark. I, it just didn't make any sense. And, and there were a lot of very similar shots, too, of James McAvoy just laying on his desk thinking, oh, what am I going to do to save Robin Wright? Mm -hmm. Yeah. James McAvoy, I liked his acting overall, but he, the whole first third of the movie, every single line, I swear, he, like, gives a sarcastic chuckle, like, ha, huh, and then he, he, he mentions <laughs> some reason why he thinks Robin Wright is guilty. <laughs> it was actually shot on film, primarily, though there was some digital used. Well, then it must, it must have looked like really. Yeah. It must have just been the digital stuff that was sticking out of my mind, and then I'm thinking of all the... The, the blooming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hate that, though. I hate it when they mix. <laughs> they mix digital and film. I feel like... They did it just a crotchety old man complaint. Yeah. No, I feel like it really does... Yeah. I really do, it does... It does not look good. I mean, well, the digital stuff does not look good in this movie, at the very least. Yeah. And that makes me think that, you know, the whole movie doesn't look good, even if, uh, you know, the rest of it's shot in film. I feel like when they started mixing, like, CDs and vinyl, some guy made the same complaint, and DVDs and Laserdiscs, some guy made the, the well, same complaint. Well, I mean, they are How different. Do you mix those? <laughs> 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 All right, well, um, here, let's, uh, let's start this off. Sean, do you think the real Aiken was a good lawyer? I actually remember a bit of this. The real Aiken, I don't think, factored very much into the book I was reading about this whole thing. The book I read was about the actual assassination attempt, but they did cover the trial stuff afterwards. So I, what, do you, what do you think? No, I don't think so. Yeah, you are correct. Aiken was not a good lawyer. In fact, they, they, there was a snippet of his transcript during the law, and he, he has like a really like sort of Victorian, effusive sort of way of speaking. There's a little quote. The aegis of impregnable legal justice which circumvallates and sanctifies the threshold of home. So that's just a taste of, uh, of, of the kind of things he says. And the movie says he left law out of disgust. Well, actually, he was kicked out of the law a year mm -hmm. after the trial for forging signatures on checks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? That's according to... But he did go on to be like the first guy on the Washington Post, That right? is correct. According to, that's according to the New Yorker. That was, the, uh, that was in their review. That was another thing that I felt like was really frustrating about this because there's an interesting thing that is going on with Mary Seward historically. And what it is is the 
inherent perception of what a woman was capable of at that time. There was like a dichotomy between half of the population of people wanting her blood as being somewhat even tangentially involved with this linking conspiracy, and the other half not believing that a woman would be capable of something like this. So there was an interesting kind of back and forth and conversation that was happening all over this, and they completely missed the ball, I feel like, in addressing that. I'm curious, Sean, do you think Aiken was a war hero in real life? Uh, I don't actually even know about that, well, but I'm going guess. to guess, guess no. No, he was not. He was, in fact, oh, really? a war hero <laughs> for the Union side. But what is not alluded to in the movie, prior to joining the Union, Aiken attempted to, by mail, enlist in the Confederate cause. So, oh, really? Yes. Wow. That's, that, <laughs> he, was, it's, he was just ditching for a fight. Yes. I assume that would have gone beyond the by mail concept by the certain <laughs> point. <laughs> it's, true. it's true. I think it's interesting that they make such a big point about uh, the writ of habeas corpus because something I remembered about Abraham Lincoln is that he suspended habeas corpus and arrested a bunch of politicians from the South right at the beginning of the war uh, and held them without trial. And so for <laughs> then, the guy defending justice and liberty, seemingly claiming that Lincoln would be on his side specifically is going against what Lincoln himself did. And Johnson just does what Lincoln would have done in his place, <laughs> clearly. Yeah, there's do. some interesting stuff with the sentencing. There was a writ of habeas corpus that the lawyer, Aiken, and the other lawyer that was working for Mary Surratt's defense, they actually did get it, and they did get it signed by the judge, and it was stopped by the president, Johnson, at the time. There's also some interesting, you were talking about the, the judges. After the verdict was read, uh, one of the conspirators, his name was Powell, claimed that Mary Surratt was entirely innocent after everyone had been sentenced. And five out of the nine judges signed a letter requesting clemency for Mary. And President Andrew Johnson, he later claimed that he never got the order. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember reading that. But the Judge that, yeah. Advocate General, Joseph Holt, said he did give the order to President Johnson, as well as the, as the execution order. He saw both. He signed the execution order, supposedly saying Surratt kept the nest that hatched the egg. It's kind of interesting because it's kind of difficult to say with assurance whether or not Mary Surratt was guilty in this particular case, but she was definitely guilty of something. Uh, <laughs> because uh, um, earlier, during the real fire of the Civil War, her and her husband had the Surratt Inn, and that was a notorious safe house for Confederate spies. And a lot of Confederate espionage was carried out there because it was in Maryland, which was a border state. It was technically part of the Union, so they were able to aid the Confederate cause. I guess the real discussion is whether she should have hanged or not for what she did. And now it's time for this week's edition of Forgettable Villains from Forgettable Films. Give me a name. Fuck you! That's my name! Stumpy Joe. Agent Smith. Frau Blucher. Kaiser Soze. Illinois Nazis. Rocco. Mad Dog. Mother. Gabruga. Kittredge. Wanda. Willow. Wilder! You can call me Susan if it makes you happy. From I Love Trouble... <laughs> Sam Smotherman. <laughs> uh, maybe some of you have seen I Love Trouble. I saw a long time it's ago. A, uh, like it's a pretty detestable movie with Nick Nolte and Julia Roberts. Wikipedia claims that Julia Roberts says Nick Nolte is the worst actor she ever worked with, <laughs> uh, based off her experience on the set in that movie. Good. Sam Smotherman. Do you have anything to say about him specifically? You know, this is an instance where the, the, the villain is so forgettable that even I don't really have a proper anecdote about <laughs> Sam Smotherman. So. <laughs> Thank you.
let's talk about the ending. At the end, James McAvoy, Frederick Aiken, returns after 16 months of perhaps personal reflection to find John Surratt, <laughs> who has since been captured at that point. And uh, Aiken offers Surratt uh, a memento from his mom. Surratt tells Aiken to hold on to it because he was more of a son to her than he was. So how does everyone feel about that? Was, is that fulfilling? <laughs> I felt like he was going to say, uh, that wasn't really our relationship. I thought it was a bad movie and a bad script, but I liked the ending for what the movie was. I certainly didn't think of James McAvoy as a son-like character to Robin Wright. Mm -hmm. So the son's line saying, you were a better son than I was, is odd in that regard. But it makes sense because the son didn't come back to save his mom, and James McAvoy did everything he could to try to save Robert Wright's character. The big thing lacking from the movie for me was you're really given a chance to make a bold statement about the uh, the various gender issues that were surrounding this, about the racism and the slavery of the time, uh, and that was completely whitewashed. It was just not even referenced in the film. Not, I mean, at no point did a character mention the fact that the court shouldn't execute her because she's a woman, which was exactly what was going on at the time, and you're really doing a disservice to the time and the events if you're not telling that story. It's true. There's a marked absence of any sort of addressing of, of racial issues in that period of time. There's only one black character, actually, which is Dudley, the uh, manservant <laughs> who, uh, who pulls James McAvoy aside to tell him he's been kicked out of the century club right yeah. and even then the only the only interaction you get it's like the protagonist saying oh it's not your fault i know it's not your fault like like yeah. like i know this isn't about you and it's like yeah kind of, you know it's it's a big it's a, it's 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 a bigger deal i would have liked for it to focus on whether or not she was guilty of the conspiracy even to to kidnap because now a crazily large percentage i think for the vast majority of women in prison are there as accessories to crimes that their boyfriends, husbands committed, and they were at home when they came home and they didn't turn them in, and so then they go to jail, and I think that's obviously terrible and awful, and would have been an interesting point for the movie to be making. If she were innocent, then that would have been something to focus on. If she was guilty, then I guess there was sort of nothing nothing to be said, and better not mention it, so she's more likable. Yeah, in my opinion, if you're if you're going to set out to make a decent movie about this trial in any way whatsoever, you have to make the protagonist Mary Surratt and, and give her more of a story yeah. And, and, yeah, and, yeah. and help us yeah. understand where, where they came from. One thing I couldn't stand, <laughs> I feel like Robert Redford was honestly making very abject statements about Guantanamo Bay and military tribunals, which was not there originally in the script. They wrote the script prior to those events, so it, it was originally just a bare-bones historical script, but I think his directing really did impress that, that sort of image that we're supposed to be thinking about that sort of stuff, and I think it was perfectly typified when I left the theater, I was leaving the theater, and these two guys in front of me are talking to each other, and one says to the other, it's like, you know, stuff like this, it still happens you know, as we're leaving. So it's like, I, I, I could definitely feel a very purposeful message there. And I, I thought it was, I thought he should have been spending his time on something else. Yeah, it feels like a, a noose around the neck of the movie, actually. It feels like it's sort of strangling any life that's out of it. Because it feels like these events are very, very loosely connected to what is currently happening. And there's really two separate discussions that should be had here. And not just mushing it all together into one sort of mess. Yes. Yeah, yeah. totally agree. I disagree, actually. 
I think that this movie was just about America trying to give every criminal a fair trial, and that that is an issue that is obviously still relevant nowadays. That might be Robert Redford's intention in making the film, but I do think the film itself is separate than Guantanamo Bay specifically. It is obviously a military tribunal, which so it has that connection to modern-day military tribunals. I would say I'm probably leaning a little more towards Connor. I agree that I think it is there. I don't feel like it. It was a, a noose around the neck of the uh, of the film. A I very think, a very colorful way for you to to spray <laughs> that movie. Very cruel. I I think that if it hadn't been there, then they might have focused on something else. They might have focused on caring about the characters. Instead, it felt like maybe it was trying to make a bigger point. There really wasn't a very strong theme in the movie. Right. But what theme I felt was a modern day, well, think about what's happening now kind of thing, where it's such a very specific thing that isn't really relatable. That's the problem. If you were making it, you could make a historical movie where it could apply to nowadays, but it couldn't be these very specific events with real specific people. Hello and welcome to the Truly Trivial Trivia Challenge, recorded live in San Anselmo, California. And now, because he was kicked out of the Elks Club, your host, Brian James Houghton! Welcome, welcome, and hello! Can you please finish this line? Damn the Rebels! Damn them all to hell. That is correct. Uh, uh -oh. starting to sound pretty good. <laughs> okay. What was the name of the woman who was on trial? Mary Seward. I gotta give it to Chris. <laughs> I keep saying Seward, and I, I, do, I don't think it's correct. Well, you know... It's spelled S-U-R-R-A-T. I know, I know, I know all right. it's spelled. Alright, what was the name of the defense attorney? Frederick, Frederick Aiken. Aiken. Kevin gets it. Frederick Aiken is correct. No relation to Clay. <laughs> <That's true>. <laughs> <laughs> Upon entering the uh, uh, Surratt household, uh, Aiken had this to say. This would be the perfect place to, to conspire and kill, kill the president. Kill him. Oh. To overthrow the government. Mm. Uh, Connor, unless, Chris, did you say that? I sort of jumbled the beginning. I did say overthrow the government, but you can give it to him. I'm giving it to Connor. Remember. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what? Was Whoa. the freakish 1800s language for binoculars? Spyglasses. Shooting no. glasses. No. Looking Field glasses. glasses. That is correct, mm. Kevin. Okay. What was the item that Mary Surratt left for her son? Cross. Uh, rosary. Necklace. Necklace. Technically, it was a, a rosary. rosary yes. So, so, so I, I, I'm, I'm inclined. What the hell's a rosary? A cross of a necklace. I'll give you a point for that. Give me a pity point. We do have. I'll give you a pity point. Sean's got a pity point. Sean got last place, by the way. Uh, so, Wait, did I get a pity point? You got. You got a pity point. Okay, you got two good, points. Good. Now we got a tie between Kevin and Chris. Yes. And the way we're gonna handle this is, you two are going to write down. The closest you can come to yeah. the date that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. <laughs> date? He was... Okay. Date, month, and year. And that's how I'll determine whoever gets closest wins. Okay. Uh... Chris got it. Oh, Ooh, man. Chris gave March 6th. You gave June 30th. The correct answer was April 15th. Uh, yeah. yeah, Chris, April you're much 15th. closer. Good game. I, I tax went, day. I went for the, <laughs> for the dead center of the year. <laughs> you had equal, yeah. equal chances. I don't know why. I just had Honor. that. It had that springtime feel to me. <laughs> so, utter, utter trivia domination for uh, for Chris yet again. It's yet been, again. Uh, well, you know, I've, I've won... Uh, 
three straight tiebreakers here. There's been some clutch competition. I want everyone to know it. Right. <laughs> well, we will see if your good luck continues in the future. Okay, Chris, give us your final thoughts. Well, you shouldn't see The Conspirator. It was something of a waste of time. Oddly anachronistic, stilted, poorly lit at points, poorly written, poorly acted. Though I know not specific incidents, apparently not historically accurate, I'm being told. Overall, I would not recommend this to anyone I know. <laughs> Connor, your ultimate reflections? It was pretty bad. It was bad, I would not recommend it. I liked aspects of it, but they certainly weren't entertaining. They were just skilled, I would say, but weren't enjoyable to watch, so do not go see this film. Kevin? Definitely not worth your time. Nothing memorable about it. Nothing worth seeing. You won't hate it if you're really hot this summer and it's the only thing playing in a very well air-conditioned movie theater. You could go there and sleep through it, and that would be when you should see it. Brian? Uh, yeah, it was a bad movie. In the end, it failed in what it tried to do, and it sort of committed a cardinal sin when you're trying to embark in history because it seems like the, the biggest problem is basically using the past to reflect on the present instead of just trying to strive for accuracy in the past. And I felt like that was what this movie was quite guilty of, in that it took a very a very bland view of history without taking any risks or uh, uh, making any bold statements about the, um, the, the ignorance of the time. This is your host, Sean Sterling, saying that this movie is bad. It sucks. It doesn't have anything really good going for it. The acting is bad, so on and so forth, as you've heard throughout this podcast. I do enjoy certain things that happen in the courtroom because I enjoy things that happen in the courtroom, almost <laughs> regardless of what those things are. So for that, I will give it a 4 out of 10. <laughs> All right, so this is Sean Sterling for Chris Tognati, Connor Houghton, Kevin Werkheiser, and Brian Houghton saying aloha, goodbye, adios. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>